right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are in Science. October. Well, we're in October. Who yeah. knows where like the That's listeners uh, yeah. they could be f- finding they, this in they don't even know, know which October years we're now. in, right? Yeah. yeah. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> These have to be evergreen, Scott. They have to Sorry. be, you know. Yeah. This is That's Scott. Not, and that's Ollie. And this we're science just in between. babbling, but this is right. science in between. I have to say that they can't see us, but no. we've been in a couple of meetings recently where, you know, and we're separated by like two hours from each other, yeah. um, where we've showed up in very similar clothing <laughs> and it's troubling. <laughs> <laughs> and we have very sim- similar uh, facial hair and glasses. And uh, thank God Ollie has hair. Uh, otherwise, right. the two of us would be uh, indistinguishable. We'd walk into rooms and they'd be like, wait, who are those two? Yeah, who are those two about us? Twins that just uh, rolled in. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. So like right now, we're both in dark sweaters and plaid shirts. Yep. Hashtag twinning. Winning. Yeah. Uh, Winning. And we didn't call each other nope, for that to happen. Or, or send each other a, a, a snap talk or a tick gram yeah, or whatever, tick those, chat whatever or the whatever. kids whatever the kids today are doing an insta book yeah know, all that stuff Face all talk. right scott so what are we talking about today today ollie today we are going to talk about planning yeah, um planning. yeah so this has come up for multiple reasons of late <laughs> um we're, we're laughing because that's, it's we're having some challenging uh challenges planning <laughs> yeah we're having some planning challenges mm-hmm. um but also uh another reason that it's come up is is for me with my pre-student teachers my pre-service teachers sorry they're um they're doing a bunch of that right now because they're sort of getting into the thick of their their field middle field experience and they're having to start planning and implementing developing lessons. units and all that yeah. exactly developing units so um so we thought uh it might be a good opportunity to step back and think about uh what what is what is planning in a sort of ast slash ngss universe what does that look like and how and why is it necessarily i think quite different than how we think about um, about planning traditionally, um, and how planning has been done traditionally, which is to say not, you know, a lot of, a lot of planning is mostly done by following the textbook, um, with insertion of labs at sort of points where they think or activities. Yeah. Yeah. Labs and activities. And and I would say, you know, one of the things that you know, I see with my students when they're developing units and developing, um, lessons is, I mean, this is something that, it probably, you know, wasn't something that happened 30 years ago just because of the nature of technology and, and the things we can access is that right. our students are going like teachers pay teachers a lot and they're going mm. to Pinterest a lot. Mm. And and it's like become like activity central. Like it's mm. like we're looking for, okay, well, I'm going to teach this thing because I see it, you know, they're, uh, they're like planning a unit around this and they're like going, okay, well, what are the lessons that or activities I can find out there just to kind of, you know, spice it up, th- spice it up. And I get, I get it. I mean, that's, a, a, they're looking for engagement points. Um, the challenge with en- engagement points is that if you focus completely on planning lessons from engagement points is that there could be a potential lack of coherence, right? I mean, it's just like, okay, we're doing this activity and then we're doing this activity and then we're doing this activity. And what's the through line? What's the, what's the coherence across those activities that helps students make sense of that stuff. And I think that's the, the broader 
difference between planning that way, like planning at the textbook, because even the textbooks don't often have these these storylines or these through points where, you know, it's like chapter one is, you know, discrete and chapter two is discrete and chapter mm-hmm. three is discrete. Yep. And there's no real arc across those things. And so whenever, you know, a teacher or, or a teacher candidate is developing a unit to respond to that or to plan around that, they're just going, okay, I just have to fill this in with activities, yep. engagement points or whatever. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think to some extent it, it's a new phenomenon, but just, but I think it's just sort of like with many things with the internet been ratcheted up. I mean, there were, there were articles when I was doing my teacher preparation about activity mania and um, how, you know, there was this like activities, which especially I think elementary grades science instruction gets painted with this, which is like, oh, well, we'll just have some activities because that'll make it fun for the kids. Um, but, but I think, you know, one of the challenges of, of planning in an ambitious and NGSS aligned way is I, I think it actually is all, it borders on being impossible or very difficult for individual teachers to plan this kind of instruction. Um, I'm not saying, I guess I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's very difficult to really do a good job of planning this on your own. And if you do do it, it takes multiple iterations, which means for most science teachers, multiple years to get to a point where you're feeling really comfortable with it, um, with the instruction you've developed. So I think what that means is it has ratcheted up the, the importance and the need for instructional materials, which, uh, you know, I think can sometimes be in tension with, with, AST and and GSS. So I think there's this interesting sort of back and forth between, well, this is a really sophisticated and complicated form of pedagogy, which requires actually good curriculum materials to support it, but we're only just beginning to get good curriculum materials. So where does that put teachers in terms of how they think about planning for this kind of instruction? I think it really is in a difficult, we're in a difficult place right now, honestly. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about AST a bunch. Um, you know, in terms of the, the, there are, you know, four clear, you know, processes practices, in ASD yeah. practices, but the first one is all around planning. And that's yeah. like, I think that, you know, some folks just want to jump to, you know, step two, which is all about what are the students doing? Because mm-hmm. two, three, and four, those processes or practices are all focused on, you know, how do we elicit ideas? How do we help them? develop, you know, evidence-based, you know, explanations. But in order to do those things, teachers have to be really intentional about like, okay, what's this going to look like, not only in, in this unit, but maybe for the entire year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even more broadly, if we pull the lens out even further, schools should be thinking about how this develops over a course of years. And that level of coherence is really challenging in some school systems. I mean, I I remember this is going back ways. You and I, and this is a local school district. You and I went to a local school district probably 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And we were, we were inquiring about maybe doing some curricular work with them. And do you remember this meeting? And Mm -hmm. where it was like, and they were, uh, we asked them about their curriculum and they pulled out like, just like 
you know, piece of paper with like things scribbled down on it. They had no real curriculum. And I'm like, well, how do we know what's being taught in fifth grade versus what's being taught in eighth grade? And the one administrator is like, well, in this person's eighth grade class, this is what you can expect. In this person's right. eighth grade class, this is what you can expect. Because they use different books and they're in different buildings. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you and I were just like, oh my gosh, like this. No, I would say that's not the norm. That's a, that's no. more of the exception than the norm. But it, I think it showcases some of the challenges that, you know, teachers have. I mean, there's some agency and some autonomy that school, that individual teachers have, but that also can create some real challenge in, challenges when you're trying to do this uh, at a school level or, you know, yeah. a district level. Yeah. And it, bring, it brings back a tension that we talk about a lot, which is this tension between um, structure and agency, right? So to what degree do these things have to be structured and consistent across teachers? And to what degree do teachers need to have agency? And I think, generally speaking, school districts favor structure over agency. They they do not, you know, they often say, well, you know, we're going to define the curriculum, but you can define the teaching Um but that's, you know, that isn't, it isn't a simple slice to make to say, like, we're going to separate these two things. And then there are other pressures that get put in there, common assessments, other things that may force teachers to teach in particular ways because they're constrained in other ways, even though they're, even though they're being told they're not being constrained, they're being constrained in these sort of implicit ways. So I do think um, like this idea of how do we, how do we think about curriculum materials as a critical tool that are, are useful for teachers to, to structure on a macro level, what's happening both within their class and across grade levels, like you say, because NGSS is intentionally building on itself across grade levels, um, but also allowing teachers a lot of agency and professional judgment to to work with their kids and be responsive to the kids that are in their classroom, right? I think this this is an ongoing tension that probably has existed as long as there's been schooling, but I think they, these kind of pedagogies really push on that that um, tension because you need good curriculum materials and you need to have responsive, ambitious ways of of engaging kids with those curriculum materials, and that tension is is uh, can sometimes be difficult to manage. Yeah, if if you are in, interested in engaging in this process, I would say one of the best places to start is like the Ambitious Science Teaching website is is a great tool. And it, and I mean the book itself is great, but if you're like, you know, you don't want to buy the book, go, you know, go in and go to the website because there's lots of uh, really great materials to help you start thinking about how to do this. I think one of the things that is for me that we're going to, we're working on developing a workshop around this with Mm -hmm. for teachers. And one of the things is they, they offer, you know, five questions for teachers to consider as they start to think about planning is one is what is it about this curriculum? that's so important. Like, so it really is like, Hey, here's all this broad curriculum. What is the important stuff? Like, because we don't want to get lost in the weeds, right? We don't want to get lost in the, in, the, in the weeds of like, okay, this little piece of information. It's like, well, what's the most important details here? Um, is, it, is it the topic itself that's important? Or is it something more fundamental and dynamic about it that, the, is that you really want the students to understand? And then it's like, okay, how do we frame that around observable phenomenon? 
Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and so we have to situate this in something where the students can actually see it and experience it um, and something that they're going to be able to interpret or explain. And then um, how does that lead to representing models? So how can students represent a model that organizes and helps them make sense of the idea? So it comes back to that sense-making. And lastly, uh, there's, there's a question around anchoring events. So how can anchoring events be made relevant to students' lives and, and interests? Right. I think and that's the anchoring cool- events are the way that you present these phenomena to kids. So the thing, the thing that you give them to sort of reason about the phenomenon you're interested in, right? Because right. And we can talk more about that in, uh, in a bit, but I, but I think, yeah, those questions are important. And I think, you know, the challenge again is that, to ask an individual teacher to do all this work every time they're developing a unit is a lot, right? To say, okay, you have to find a phenomenon that works to teach the kids or to give kids an opportunity to engage with the material that they need to learn that's on the standards. And here's, here's a phenomenon that's going to do that. And that phenomenon has to be robust enough to carry a whole multiple weeks worth of curriculum. And it also needs to, um, you know, be engaging and interesting to kids and connected to their lives. And so, you know, the the pressure mounts and I think it's easy for teachers to just say, this is a lot. Like it was already hard for me to think about new ways of teaching. And now you're asking me to entirely reconceptualize how I plan. Um, I think, I think it is a lot. So I do think this is why, um, good curriculum materials are important. Um, but, but, yeah, I that, I, but, I, but I think that the, the payoff, however, for doing it this way is, is something that we should consider as something that's like, mm. you know, the payoff for the students and the payoff for the teacher. I mean, and the payoff for the, 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 the classroom, I mean, all of that. If we look at it from all those perspectives, sure, this is this type of planning. It's going to challenge teachers. It's going to probably put them on their heels a little bit because it's going to like, I don't want to say it's going to expose their content knowledge, but it's going to really tap into their content knowledge more than probably they're used to, right? Because maybe they're used to, hey, here's, you know, here's this, if they're lecturing, right? Or they're planning some sort of, you know, cookbook in a lab. And I don't mean that in terms of like something very prescriptive, right? And And I'm not saying that from a negative standpoint. I'm just using that terminology because, you know, it's a step by step process where it's something verifiable at the end, you know, hey, let's let's calculate the, you know, the coefficient of, of friction, right? It's mm-hmm. like, all right, well, who, big whoop, right? right? It's something you and I both have done in our classrooms, right? Absolutely. Okay, here's, here's an in-kind plane, raise it up, right. and voila, here, you know, here's the angle, let's calculate it, and yeah. here's it, and let's go to the big book of coefficient of friction, and look. See if yours just, is the same as the, as the correct answer. Right. And, and you and I have done those labs and what does it, it show? It shows like, it's almost like, like trivia. It's, it's, it's like, you know, and the students don't have any agency in that process with it, what they're, they're, what it teaches them about science is that science is the big book of information. And what we're only thing that they can do to participate in it is go look at the big book of science to verify their, you know, it's not about their meaning making or their, you know, looking at the world around them and making sense of it. None of that, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And that's, that's why, um, you know, this, this kind, this is why this piece, this planning practice or 
set of practices for planning is so critical and also so difficult, right? Like, like you said, the, the following three, the enactment practices about eliciting and, and expanding kids' understanding and developing evidence-based explanation, on some level, those are the easy ones. I mean, they're, they're hard in that they're, they're shifts in the practice, but, um, but you can do them little bits at a time and, and you can sort of work on them and improve on them. But the planning is really hard because if you have a phenomenon that, that won't carry um, the, the curriculum that you're trying to do, it, it, pit, it peters out and fails and feels really bad for both you and the kids. And then you're here in this place where you're like, oh, man, I really tried this cool thing or I thought it was going to be cool. And it turns out it wasn't that cool. And now maybe I'm disappointed and not willing to try this in the future. So, um, yeah, I think, I think planning is, a. at the very least planning is an activity that I think we need to think of as, as a multi-teacher operation now. So, oh, yeah. so we need to think about how can schools organize themselves in a way to let teachers have common planning time. So all the, you know, ninth grade or 10th grade biology teachers, like give them time to be able to be together and plan because they're going to need that time to both because they need the diverse expertise of multiple teachers, but also because uh, it's it's going to be an ongoing challenging process. And so having having support and colleagues is critically important. So we have to do a little work about breaking down these barriers, too, that that are sort of a natural part. Of, well, I don't know about natural, but in a developed part of the way that teaching works. Right. The egg crate model, as Lordy would call it. Right. Where each each right. teacher is in their own little compartment and they don't interact with other teachers. Yeah. Lordy surprisingly makes a lot of, uh, you know, appearances in the yeah. podcast. Turns out. Yeah. Turns out, you know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's a friend of the show. Maybe, uh, maybe. I think he's passed. Well, I mean, he could still. So is John Dewey. John Dewey. Right? That's a fair point. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But, so you know, that. he was. Yeah. So. If you haven't heard other episodes, uh, Lordy um, is, is best known or best referenced in this podcast uh, to the apprenticeship of observation, yep. which is which is his notion that um, you know one of the challenges that we have in changing the educational system is that um, the people who have agency to change that system passed through the system and came out the other side, and so they have a notion of how school is supposed to look based on their own experience, right? Their apprenticeship of observation. And so teaching our pre-service teachers how to teach, we are inevitably fighting the battle against all the science teachers that they've had over the last, you know, 16 years or so. So, uh, so that apprenticeship yeah, see, of observation but, is real. But I think that, that the, the challenge with the apprenticeship of observation is that there are, the, our teacher candidates and future teachers only really get to see the performative piece, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And that, I mean, that's how it connects, I think, really importantly to the topic today is that this stuff, the planning stuff, you know, the assessment stuff, the, all of that stuff happens, you know, behind the curtain. Right. It, you yeah. know, and so it all happens in a place where, you know, the apprentices aren't seeing it. Yeah. They're not seeing that stuff happen. And so when they come to it, they, they are really, know not armed with that you know 12 years of experience that they had of watching someone teach so they're like going okay i'm just seeing the end product of the planning mm -hmm. and if that planning is something where it's just like okay you know 
I have, I mean, because there are districts that have very prescribed curriculum where it's very, you know, mm-hmm. almost like there's a script, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it's like you, you have to say, especially in like, I see this not so much in science, but per se, but in other content areas, it's happening to a great deal is like, okay, you, we've bought this curriculum where this lesson you're going to script. Yep. So they are seeing that is the brand of teaching and the brand of of planning and it just is not preparing them well for doing this kind of stuff. No. Well, and yeah, I mean, I think you and I, another experience you and I had was visiting one of our former um, pre-service teachers that we'd worked with in our early days when, when you were here as a doctoral student and we went down and, and this person had gotten a job in the Harrisburg area in, in a public school down there. We went to visit and they had exactly that. They had been given a very prescriptive uh, curriculum where they had the, the slides, the PowerPoint slides for every day, and they just right. had to basically perform the slides. Like they just right. had to here's, put them Here's what and, we do on day 75. This is yep. what we do on day 76. Yeah, you know? it, was, it was all very clear. Um, so, and, and I remember the sort of, uh, you know, just gut-wrenching sadness of of this exceptional young person who had done really great work with us and was you know had the potential to be an amazing teacher who got put in this box by the yeah. curriculum and that, uh, i don't think they're they're teaching anymore no, are they? they left teaching yeah. not long after that so <laughs> uh, probably not a coincidence maybe there's no. other factors there but but yeah i mean i think that's that's the you know going back to this agency and structure tension um i think that is the the other side of the that's the extreme version of the structured structured side of the tension which is like we've decided that kids don't matter in our school that this curriculum can be delivered regardless of who the students are i mean which Anybody who thinks about humans at all has to, I think, would have to balk at that. Like, say, what is this really how we want to think about this? That all kids are exactly the same and need exactly the same thing. And therefore, the best way to prepare them is, you know, it's, I guess, maybe simplistically put, it's the equality versus equity argument. But right. um, but it is really uh, terrifying that there are people who think that this is the best way to solve the complexity of schooling is to reduce it to uh to like absolutism. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I we're, think we're not talking about that. No, no, we're not talking about that at all. But I think that, you know, confronting, like, I, I guess I, I, I see it as less sinister, you know, I don't see it. I mean, and well, I, I, I think, I think it's a response to challenges that, you know, when, when administrators and, you know, curriculum, you know, folks in districts are, you know, looking at, these high stakes tasks. They're like, how can we best, you know, meet these demands? You know, I think it's a, uh, a response to that constraint, but I don't think it's the response, you know, I, I guess there are lots I of mean, responses. I, so in, in, I, I think we've all been doing more of this recently, but I've been doing some work at Penn state in, uh, in and around equity and, and specifically around leadership, equity and leadership and thinking about it. And, and one of the things that has recurred a lot this, this semester in those conversations is, um, the difference between intent, intent and impact. Right. Right. And so the intent of those curricular changes may be to try and raise test scores, which uh, doesn't sound like a student-centered uh, decision-making process either, but but the impact is pretty 
bad. Um, so, so whether they intended it as solving some kind of problem that, that is a reasonable thing for them to try to solve or not, which I'm still not convinced of that, but, um, but the impact of it is, is bad. So I think you have to take a step back and say, if we're making this kind of choice, um, whether, whether we intend it to be a problem solver thing or not, the impact of it is that we are, we are doing some pretty, um, bad stuff to kids in terms of, their learning and their their views of schooling and themselves. So, yeah. See that it comes back to my idea that from Code Switch that podcast uh-huh. is this good? For, is this good for science ed? Right? right. That is, you know, that's the ongoing segment that you know. Right. But I think you good? and I would. Is this good? I think we say no, 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 nine. no. not good. <laughs> no, uh, this is not good. Uh, so yeah, I think. So, so I think, uh, you know, going back to what is good, I think what is good is, um, is developing a plan, right? To develop curriculum or to take up curriculum that has a structure that begins with these phenomena and, and investigates those phenomena. And then also, I think part of that is to, to be formative and responsive and to say, you know, for example, yeah, I have a plan for this arc, but the kids were interested in this particular question initially. So that even though that the investigation that I had planned as the fourth investigation in the arc, I'm actually going to move that to be the first investigation because that's what the kids are currently really trying to figure out and interested in. And, and that kind of switching, you know, again, is stays from my mind within the structure but allows for agency. And that that's what we're hoping for, right? Is that, you know, Ali and I may do the same investigations in our two different classrooms, but they don't have to be in the same order. They don't have to be carried out the same way. They don't have to be identical because identical is not equitable. And so what, what we're saying is let's have a plan. Let's agree upon a plan. Let's continue to talk about that plan. Again, this is the shared planning time idea. So Ollie and I get together and we say, Hey, here's what's happening in my class today. What was happening in your class? And he's like, Oh, well, this different thing was happening in my class. So now let's talk about how do we respond to that? Do we need to try and like, is there for some reason, is there a reason to get us on the same page or not? Do we say, yeah, why don't you investigate this and I'll investigate this. And maybe that actually works out better for us because then I learn from Ollie what happens with his kids in that investigation and he can give me feedback and vice versa because I'm engaged in a different investigation. And then I can tell him, hey, you know, here's what my kids were asking questions about or here's the area that they seem to really be hung up on that maybe we can figure out a way to reframe that. So when you do it with your kids, they have some sort of building blocks that'll help them move forward. Um, That kind of that. That's the kind, like my hope, if I had a hope for how this works, that would be how it works. So one of the things that we were going to include a lot in our workshop that we were doing with this was the idea of storylines. Yeah. And, and that was something that um, it comes up in the AST materials too, is, you know, I know this is a lot of language, you know, like anchoring events, phenomenon, you know, but these, the storyline I think is is an effort to try to get students to start to see what what are the big, big players, the big ideas, the big, you know, in the science, in the content, in this, in the science area, the science domain in which they're working. And rather than seeing like, you know, constantly shifting, you know, 
bunch of characters. Okay. Oh, we're in this unit. So we're going to talk about these characters. Oh, now we're in these ones. We're going to, so they aren't really seeing that these common characters. And I think that the, the places that we can find some of those storylines are like in those, you know, you know, like when you start talking to NGSS, we're talking like cross-cutting concepts, some of the, you know, not practices because those are the things that mm-hmm. we use to get at those things, but like cross-cutting concepts, some of those disciplinary core ideas, like really digging into those things as like source material for like looking at these big overarching storylines that can happen, you know, across units, across, you know, years. Yeah. You know? No, I think storylines are a nice way to think about it. I, the, the, um, the concern I sometimes have with storyline as a term is that it sometimes, well, it makes it sound like it's a story, story and that right. means somebody's going to tell it um, as yeah. opposed to um, like an invest, a series of investigations. But I do think, like you say, the important piece about um, about the idea of storyline is that kids need to see a unit of instruction and ideally the whole year and multiple years as a connected developing process, not an individual like topic that we're covering today. You know, like you're saying, like, these are the characters for today, tomorrow, like today we're reading like uh, historical fiction about the the Renaissance and tomorrow we're reading, uh, you know, science fiction and it's a totally different cast of characters and a totally different thing. But they're all, and then later you say, actually, those characters are all the same and they're all in the same story. And the kids are like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. So I think the idea of storyline in the sense that this is an evolving um, conversation between kids and the phenomenon in the world to try to understand it. And and that over time develops um, uh, and builds on itself and creates a a narrative. not not that the teacher's going to tell kids a story and there's a storyline yeah. there, but um, but yeah, but and, like and like an overall like like that these pieces are are connected that they're co- like yeah, not just dis- yeah coherent. This is like I've been spending a lot of time over the last like three weeks. We're like at that point of the semester where I'm doing a lot of grading, and most mm. of the things I'm grading are papers. And the I think the if there's a you know, fingernails on chalkboard moment for me are those papers that I, I grade that I, I call them paragraph islands, right? Mm. They're the paragraph island. Yeah. See, just even yeah. saying that phrase, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, of course. Is that it's a, the paper is a Galapagos of islands, right? It's like mm-hmm. these discrete little islands that, you know, each one has its own little idea, but it's not connected to the next paragraph and it's not connected to the last paragraph there's no transitions there's really very little like you know coherence across those paragraphs it's like the the student sat down and wrote 25 paragraphs and just decided to smush them all together and call them a paper mm-hmm. that's i think that's how some of our teacher candidates approach not only paper writing but lessons too when they develop yeah. lessons for units they're saying okay i i want to do a, a two week unit okay i'm going to come up with 10 discrete, you know, lesson islands. Lesson and this island lesson, lesson, this lesson island is discrete from this lesson island. And then we also have like the next is, okay, we have these unit islands, right? Here's a unit island and we're going to jump to the next unit island. It's like, okay, well, how do we get, how are we going to get the students from one island to the next? It's not like, okay, we're going to teleport you. Mm-hmm. You know, there's got to be some connective tissue to get the students from one to the other so that they're seeing this 
trip that they're on as like this something more coherent than that, right? Yep. Agreed. Yeah. It, well, just as an aside, when you said that, it made me think of the They Might Be Giants song, Fibber Island. Do you know that song? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I am not going to attempt to sing it, but I recommend I recommend it. Uh, it's it's a got a I mean, they might be giants has some of their stuff that ha- feels very like kid, like it was written yeah. for kids. And Fibber Island is definitely one of those. And my kids love that song when when they were kids. But uh, it's it's a uh, it's a great song about that island of, you know, fibbers. Uh, but uh, when you said Paragraph Island, it struck a chord with me. Sure. I said, oh, Fibber yeah. Island. Um, well, anyway. I, I think, well, when I talk to my students about writing papers, I say, okay, that's the one paper I don't want from you is I don't want these Paragraph Islands. But I think the other part is I, I, I use this example is, is I feel like there sometimes I get the, the kidnapping paper, right? Well, the mm. kidnapping paper is when I feel like someone's put me in the trunk of a car oh. and I'm being driven and I have no idea where we're going. I have no mm. idea how long this trip's going to take. And it's just like, and I, I kind of feel like you're making these turns and, you know, speeding up and slowing down, but I have no idea. And so there's, it comes back to that being some sort of narrative, some sort of storyline, some sort of arc through line through the the, the paper so that I have a clear sense. And I think that is a, a, a direct parallel to the way we should be designing units and designing lessons is that, you know, we should help our students understand that like, it's not just, Hey, I'm coming in today. Well, what we're doing today is like, we know yesterday we were doing this stuff and okay, here's the stuff that builds from that. Mm-hmm. And because it helps to, you know, build some of that perplexity that's critical. It helps to build some of that coherence that is going to help students revise their models, revise their explanations, and ultimately help them build better, you know, models and understandings of, of the science world. Right. And it's, and it's, you know, going back to another thing that we talk about a lot, it's more, it's more authentically the way that science works, right? Like science, scientists don't come in and like spin a wheel and decide today, this is the thing we're going to try to investigate, right? (laughs) Oh, I've decided today's a photosynthesis day. So we're going to work on photosynthesis and tomorrow is friction. It's like, wait a minute, what? No, like they're, they're, they're actually trying to solve problems about things and they continue to investigate those things. So I think that, that also gives you a sense of of what school should be like because it should be like science. So I think maybe we can wrap this up by saying there is this and there is a tension between creating structure that supports kids learning, but also providing for agency, both for the teacher and the kids to be responsive to what the kids' ideas are and what you're trying to accomplish um, and blending those in a way that that creates, um, you know, an environment where kids feel like their ideas matter, but you also are accomplishing um, things that matter in terms of the curriculum, right? In terms of what kids are supposed to learn. So I think that can exist. Those things can coexist, but the planning to do that is a different kind of planning than we traditionally do in science. And, and it is a difficult kind of planning that requires support, both curricular and, um, you know, collegial support. All right. All right. All right. There you go. Nice. There you go. Put a bow on that for now. Uh, I bet you some of some of our listeners may feel like our episodes are a little bit like, you know, episode islands or you think? 
Yeah. Well, you well know, what are we talking about? That's uh, true. We do do that. Maybe maybe we need to do more planning and be coherent. Try and develop oh, a whole coherent season of science. That's in between. next level stuff. I think. Yeah. Ooh, just that'll be season. That'll be season four. Season four. Yeah, we're we're in the thick of. Season we're gonna, we're gonna start planning season four now, so that by the time we get to season four, it will be both coherent, coherent. and agentic. And responsive and all the things. Right. And equitable. Yeah. And have a a through line. A through line and a storyline and a and a and an anchoring event and a phenomenon. Mm, Yeah. There you go. There you go. (laughs) How about if it just has some joys? Do you have any joys? I I do have a joy. This is something I I uh, my wife and I did this weekend that was honestly a lot of fun that we'd never done this before this is something that was on our list to do for years mm-hmm. um we made pasta mm. now i got to say growing up um we made a potato based pasta in our house oh no <laughs> this, this, okay you want you know <laughs> inside joke uh my my dad's italian and he you know grew up i was born in italy and yep. <clears throat> um so he, but from Northern Italy. And so pasta was not something we ate a whole lot when we were kids, mostly polenta and gnocchi. Mm. Those were the, the two big things that we ate in our, our family, which my dad would make both. Um, but we've been watching, you know, cooking shows where this happens a lot, where they make pasta a good bit. And so my wife and I have been, you know, talking about making pasta and we're just like, Hey, look, you know, it's a rainy weekend. Let's just make some pasta. Let's just try to figure it out. And so we made three different recipes because we, you know, one was from Alton Brown. One was from Scott Conant, who's uh, one of the guys on, on, uh, on chopped. Uh-huh. So he's a big pasta guy from chopped. And, and then we found another recipe from my brother. I have an older brother who has been doing this for years. I gave him a call and said, Hey, what's, what's your recipe? And honestly, nice. we tried each one. And then we did a side by side with a, uh, with a, a bouillonnaise sauce, which was nice. And uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, it was fancy. And then was that, uh, was a was sauce homemade as well. It was, we did. Yeah, in okay. fact, I figured, I just wanted to no. give you full credit for what you deserve here. Oh yeah. It was a, it was like six hours of cooking with the sauce. It was awesome. Yeah. And then uh, the end product, we did a side-by-side comparison based on thicknesses, based on, you know, the recipes. And honestly, the, 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 the Scott Conant sauce was, I mean, uh, pasta was, was the one we liked the most. And, okay. and it's, yeah, it was really good. And we're like, oh, this is the winner right here. And so we'll probably nice. make it again. Right. We well, yeah. have to share the recipe. We'll Absolutely. Put it, maybe put it in the show notes if it's available online, or maybe it's, well, it's not. It's on. It's on YouTube. I saw it on YouTube. Get oh, a video. Okay. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. And yeah. does he show you like how to shape the the pastas and everything? Like, because there's don't you use like the back of a fork or something? Isn't there like a technique to that? No, or? we bought. So we decided to just go all in and bought oh. uh, an attachment for the KitchenAid mixer because um, we have this KitchenAid mixer <laughs> that's like. 30 years old, 25 yeah. years old. And we're like, oh, let's buy these. Uh, the And because you have to throw, run it through this, you know, machine a bunch yeah. of times to get it all consistent and to the right thickness. And oh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Nice. All right. There was flour everywhere. It was awesome. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I feel, yeah. I made pasta once a long, long time ago. And I, I don't remember it being particularly successful, but maybe I need to revisit it. We used to have one of those hand crank pasta machines. Yeah. But it's long gone. I think we gave it away because we just weren't using it. But nice so pasta, for- pasta making, pasta making. Yeah, 
All, the All right. Well, that sounds good. Maybe next, maybe next time I see you, you'll, you'll get last time you, I saw you gave me limoncello. So maybe this time you'll give me some homemade pasta. Yeah. Um, I'll give you a little bit of both. Oh, and yeah, we got to talk about limoncello. I just yeah. had a, a limoncello, you know, moment just oh. recently where I made it and it was like markedly better and it was really oh. good to begin with. Now it's like, I'd level up whole new level. Yeah. Right. Leveled up. Mm. All right. Level two limoncello coming at yeah. you. Oh, All I right. like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So my joy is not as, uh, as nice as that one. I don't think and that was a lovely, like both family and culinary, uh, thing and heritage, There's some and heritage, heritage. sorry, some heritage yeah. in there too. <laughs> um, nice job in the heritage. Um, but, uh, what I will say is is this one is a, a revisit. I think we've recommended it, but there's a new season of it. So I have to re-mention it, which is Abbott Elementary. So um, if you haven't seen Abbott Elementary, it is, um, it's an ABC show, but it's available on Hulu and it's 22 minutes. Like it's the old school, um, you know, sitcom, multi-camera sitcom thing. Um, and it's about us, it's about an elementary, elementary school in Philadelphia and it is just fabulous. I mean, you don't have to take my word for it. They won a bunch of Emmys. They're fantastic, uh, well-regarded, but, um, the show is magnificent. And if anything, season two seems to have gotten better somehow, which is amazing wow. because season one was just, um, was amazing. Um, but the characters are growing, but but the humor is still like just spot on. And um, yeah, it's, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just great television. It just makes you feel happy. Um, and uh, you know, it's, and, and it's got a Pennsylvania slash Philadelphia vibe, which I think, you know, obviously that appeals to the, the, to the degree that I am a Pennsylvanian now, I guess uh, it appeals to me in that way too. But I, I know a lot of Philadelphians because of working at Penn state for as long as I have. Um, and I think it's very authentic. One of my, one of my former students who worked in the Philadelphia public schools was like, it's amazing how close that is to how the, how the schools actually operate. So, uh, so anyway, Abbott elementary, well worth your time. My my wife loves that show. She's yeah. a huge fan. Yeah. I, I don't know how you couldn't like, it's just, it's uh yeah, it's a hundred percent solid and it's, you know, bite-sized, you know, 22 minutes. How do you argue with that? Like you can, yeah. you can keep up with it, but yeah. Anyway, Abbott elementary thumbs up. Awesome. Well, you can eat some pasta. Watch yeah. Abbott elementary. Sounds like a perfect a little TV dinner. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, yeah. All right. We'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now. 